Mastermind Agent is proud to present the Interview of the Month Club. Top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's rising agent is Spring Benson with Keller Williams Realty in Eden, Utah. She works the second home and resort communities surrounding Powder Mountain, Snow Basin, Wolf Creek Mountain Ski Resorts, and Pine View Reservoir. Last year, she closed 47 transactions with a total sales volume of $11.3 million. Her average sales price was $329,000. 50% were buyers and 50% were sellers. She operates a team with two members, one administrative assistant, and one team leader. Spring Benson is the team leader of the Spring Creek Realtor Group. She's been an agent for eight years. Spring specializes in selling second home and resort properties in a four-season community. She is a generalist who specializes in a small market of approximately 5,000 households. Spring sells raw land, condos, townhomes, and houses. She started working with a developer and eventually struck out on her own. Spring knows the benefit of a prime office location and has made strategic alliances with the travel lodges. She believes in constantly prospecting and matchmaking her buyers and sellers. Last year, Spring double-ended over half her own listings. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Spring. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Before we get into what you're doing today, let's go back a little ways, and can you tell us what did you do before you became a real estate agent? You know, I started real estate at um, 22 years old, so prior to that, I was a hairstylist. Quite the change between the two. How long did you style hair? For about four years. So you did that right out of high school? Right. And then what made you make the transition into real estate? You know, I uh, I was moving, and I was going to have to rebuild my clientele, and I figured if I was going to have to start over, um, it would be fun to change it to something new, and I'd always been intrigued by real estate, and so I figured if I had to rebuild something, then I might as well do it in real estate. So you were not able to capitalize on the base that you had? Right. Well, I mean, my, I worked in Salt Lake City, and Eden is approximately about an hour and a half difference. So to me, it just, nobody was going to drive and I wasn't really wanting to drive to Salt Lake every day. And um, so I figured I was going to have to start over. So start over doing something different that I actually really wanted to do. Hair was fun, but it wasn't my ultimate goal. So when you got started, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I actually started off as an assistant. Eden has a master plan community. Uh, It's called Wolf Creek, Utah. And um, I started out as an assistant for a team, for the developers team. And so for about six months, I was the assistant. And I just kind of hung out and waited and watched and learned as much as I could. 
and until they promoted me up to be a sales agent. And then when I um, became a sales agent, it was a fast start. It was awesome. So I guess I was very fortunate to have the opportunity. Did I read somewhere that you became an owner of the company? No. Wolf Creek, Utah was a master plan community. And I started off as assistant, and then I became a team member, and I had a partner, and then we had a transaction coordinator um, up until about 2008, and then I became their principal broker um, for the real estate team. And then uh, Wolf Creek Properties, with the downturn of the real estate market um, in the U.S., but also in the Ogden Valley, um, decided to shut down. And so at that time, about a year ago, I affiliated myself with Keller Williams, and I have a branch within, uh, still within Wolf Creek, but it's the Keller Williams branch that I'm the broker for. Could you describe your current real estate market? My current real estate market is second home resort. So I have the sellers that would like to sell their property, but they purchased it in the peak of the market and don't need to sell. So we have quite a bit of inventory that's just sitting. Um, the properties that are priced for today's market and are bank-owned or short sell are moving immediately. And then the buyers, a general resort second home market up here, a general buyer looks for three years before they purchase. So our buyers that were here three years ago are now seeing that the values are down to where they were, oh my gosh, almost 10 years ago. Um, so we're seeing quite a few buyers coming out of the woodworks realizing that now is the time to purchase. Where is Eden? We are approximately 15 minutes up Ogden Canyon, so we're located 45 minutes from Salt Lake City Airport, and we're also about 45 minutes from Park City. It's a four-season resort community. We've got, um, we're surrounded by three ski resorts, Powder Mountain, Snow Basin, which was the host of the 2002 Winter Olympics, and then Wolf Mountain. We also have a reservoir, Pine View Reservoir, which is a lake that's actually Utah's most popular lake in the summer. So it's absolutely beautiful. So you're working in this wonderful, beautiful place. Do you have a niche or a specialization in that area? Primarily new construction. Really, the, this area is pretty small, so I feel like this area is my niche. Um, the whole Eden, Liberty, Huntsville, the Ogden Valley, I know it inside and out. can tell you've probably been in every property multiple times. Um, and so I really think this whole little valley is my niche, the second home resort market up here. How big is that area? You know, we're fairly new, um, and so actual residents actually live in Eden. Um, there's probably only 5,000 households, so it's very small. But there's a lot of undeveloped land. So vertical units, we have, I mean, we have everything from the resort second home condos that people rent on a nightly basis for their vacations up to the multi-million dollar homes. But we have a lot of vacant land that's still waiting to be developed when the economy turns back around. Of the business that you've been working on, what percentage of your business is working with the, the resort community, the second home, versus working with a local resident? Primarily, I would say 90% of my business is working with the resort second home. Um, I do have some primary residents, um, but very few of them. Uh, most of my business is coming from out of state or even from Utah. 40% of our buyers do come from Utah that are looking for a second home. 
Well, let's talk about how you develop that market with all these people that are away from you. How do you find these people that want to buy and sell in your area? I think that it's just been a long process. I've been doing it now approximately eight years. So it starts with you meeting somebody. So whether it was an open house or right now my current office um, used to be an art gallery and it's located at the entry of a restaurant. And also, so it's high traffic during ski season for people that are going to dinner. Um, and it's also located, there's a golf course. So it's in the golf course clubhouse. So I get quite a few walk-ins. And then once you get that walk-in or if you're at an open house, is getting their contact information. And then as I said, you have three years before they purchase. So just following up for three years. <laughs> I know that sounds horrible. Um, but when you build your pipeline, then you they just come out of the woodwork. So, In a little bit, we're going to talk about follow-up, and I'm going to want to ask you how you follow up for three years. Let's stick on marketing for a minute, though, and how you're bringing these leads in or these, these folks in initially. You've stated you have a great location, and you're doing open houses. Tell me about your open houses. How, how do you do them? How many people come by? Do you do anything unique? Well, it, it just depends if it is a uh, holiday weekend. So let's say President's or um, Martin Luther or something where there's a lot of traffic. Um, we will do more of an opera ski open house with uh, cocktails and hors d'oeuvres. And we'll um, have signage out and put it out into all the rental units where the people are staying. Generally speaking, I would say that most of my buyers do not come into town thinking they're going to purchase real estate. They come here, have a great ski vacation, um, think it's beautiful, and then the idea starts going through their mind of maybe this might be a good opportunity for me to invest. Um, so it's capturing them. Uh, they're not going to walk into a real estate office generally. So we have that. I also... Um, the web presence, a lot of people start doing their research on the web prior to coming here. So we are connected to the lodging companies that are um, bringing in people to stay for their ski vacations where we have those um, internet leads coming in as well as our own internet leads. And then also um, I just make sure my literature is everywhere. My last marketing piece I did wasn't about real estate. It was more of an area directory with a map and all the local um, connections, so dining, spa, all that, but it was branded in my branding material. And then the back of it had a few listings, but it was more about the lifestyle. And that's brought in quite a few leads. Where do you distribute that directory? Everywhere. Any local business or lodging. Um, we have in all the lodging units. We uh, have it in every restaurant because they're advertised in it, so they're fine to distribute it. Um, we have it in the spas, we have it in the rec facilities where they can rent their, everything, the, everybody who's advertised in it has pretty much let us put the piece in there. Now, is this your directory or are you advertising in a directory that's for the community? No, I created it. So the front cover of it is more about the lifestyle of the valley. Um, it just says, welcome home. So break away, come home and experience Mount Living at its finest. And then, um, and then you open it, and it has the directory. It has my branding in the middle of it with a nice area map. And then, um, and then the sides of it has all the restaurants and stuff. So um, it's just a great way to get in their face and get your branding out there, but you're not necessarily pushing the real estate side of it. 
You brought the community together to put that directory out. So you had to go to all the local businesses and chat with them and try to get them to contribute? Nope, I just paid for it. <laughs> it was my marketing piece because the back of it does have my higher end, my multi-million dollar listings on it. But then, and then the, I mean, it, it has, it's all me. I mean, it, at the front of it has my logo on it. I mean, everything, I'll send it to you so you can put it in. But it's, uh, I just did it so that I could get into those locations. But I also figured it was a piece that people would keep instead of it being, even a local would keep it for when they needed a number for something instead of it being a piece that people would throw away. Is it going out once a year? And then how many pieces? You know, we stocked it in all of the local businesses, and so we'll go around and refill them um, as needed. I think my assistant goes around every couple of weeks, every month. And then um, what I will do is put it in the local newspaper. Instead of sending it as a direct mail, we can insert in our local newspaper and um, do it once in the winter and once in the summer just to get the exposure. Do you know how many total copies you printed? I want to say I printed about 15,000. And so you're figuring out how to get those out, and is that bringing in business? Absolutely. Well, and it's also about a name exposure. I mean, I think that um, I, I definitely have a presence up here, uh, my signage and everything. So it's just more or less staying in, on mine, you know, in their mind of when they think about real estate. You know, it's one of those ways to not become annoying, but yet have a, have a presence. So... Um, that's kind of how it works for us. I mean, people don't really want to be bombarded about real estate all the time for three years, you know, so you have to find other ways to touch base with them. You said you also have a web presence, and it sounded like you did a joint venture with some of the lodging companies. Is that correct? Well, the lodging companies, uh, they're the first touch of somebody coming in. So if they, we have a link on their website for if they're interested in real estate, they can connect to us. Um, but we also um, have, we link to the Master Plan Communities Resort website. And then we also have some, I don't have any right now, but pay per clicks on Google um, during ski season or for search engine optimization. Um, so if somebody, those tag words are not necessarily real estate, it's more or less snow basin real estate or powder mountain real estate or something that's going to get them. It's more area driven, not necessarily, uh, or lifestyle driven, not necessarily a Eden or Hunts for or Liberty because people don't necessarily know the town names or whatnot. And has that worked for you, the pay-per-click? Yes, that has worked. And so has just paying for the, to be the top two or three on Google. Because you know, most people don't keep on going down the line when they're looking for things. What else are you doing out there? You know, I still have the normal buyer acquire. You know, you get a ton of stuff off of that and then following up with them. Um, I actually get several referrals from other um, agents um, from out of the area because it is second home resort. So they're coming from somewhere, you know. I also get several past clients. I mean, we're in the relationship business. So most of my business is still coming from somebody referring somebody or a past client um, coming to either purchase or sell their property. What percentage of your business is coming from past clients and referrals? Combined, 75% my business from a past client or a referral. How are you stimulating that? How are you making that happen? 
I think that I did a great job to begin with um, in their transaction, and so I just keep on building that relationship. So throughout the years, I'll send them what, like part of my closing gift right now is a Kodak Pulse frame. And so what that does is you can email that frame a photo. So we live in a beautiful area. They love their second home. So I will send them quarterly a photo of the valley by a professional photographer that's watermarked with my logo. Or I think it's just more or less staying on the top of their mind and knowing that they can find you when they need you. Um, again, having a high traffic area office, I have my past clients when they're on their vacation just pop in to say hi um, on their way to dinner or whatnot. Um, so it's just building that relationship and staying in touch with them. Do you build a database of these past clients and what do you do to stay in front of them? Are you mailing them information or emailing? I do everything. Yes, I have a database. Um, the one main thing of in the second home resort market is they're on their vacation. So you're basically at their beck and call because they only have a small time frame to look at properties. So the database has been a huge part of my business of if I wanted a vacation myself, I needed it to be up to date to where somebody else could take that client and run with it. You know, So I've always had a great database um, full of information. So I use that to market. I will um, I'll send them market updates maybe twice a year or quarterly, whether it's um, via the mail, like a letter with just here's the stats of your neighborhood, this is what's sold, this is for what price. I'll send them postcards of things that are happening in the area, sales. Um, I still I have top producers, Market Snapshot. A lot of them um, have signed up for that just because they're curious to know what's going on in their market. And then I will, to follow up with them, I'll do email blasts maybe once a quarter or uh, sometimes less than that, maybe twice a year, just touching base for summer or seeing who's coming in town for the winter. Um, so really nothing that's real estate driven other than maybe the updates on the market, but more or less just knowing that I'm their information source of when they have a real estate question, then that they can come to me and I'm still alive and kicking. Do you call them on the phone? Generally speaking, no. And the reason I'm more of an email person, they I mean, they're busy people. I mean, this is their second home. So they love it, but they don't necessarily want to hear from me just to say hi, you know. So I will generally do more of an email or send out a mass email that's nice, and then I get a lot of responses from that. One thing that I have just started doing, and we'll see how it goes, is I just signed up for viral marketing, getviral.com. It's a viral video blog. Um, that will email my database twice a month with video updates that are market, not necessarily market driven, but more real estate information. And so that's a way to keep on touching them as well. You just got the viral marketing started, so you don't have any results yet? I don't have any results. I'm getting a lot of results. I only started it this month. I'm getting, uh, I'm getting a lot of emails back, you know, of people asking me for a market update on their property or whatnot. But I only started it this month, so we'll see how it goes. How big is your database of past clients? I have, I'm pretty picky on my database, so I don't have every single person in there, but I have approximately about 8,000 people in my database. Are those all the past clients? 
No. I have lodging guests. I have people who have inquired um, in regards to uh, real estate from online. I may mean, have them tagged every so many different criteria. So I have prospects, what level of prospects I have if they're a homeowner, I have if they were a lodging guest, I have if they're an owner within the Ogden Valley, but not necessarily a client. I mean I have I just have them tagged so I know who I'm communicating with so I'm not bombarding them with information that's not applicable to them. So you create campaigns directed specifically towards that group? Absolutely, yes. You said you're also getting business through referrals from other agents. How are you creating that? How are you stimulating that? That's a great question. I don't know. They just start calling me. <laughs> well, I'm a Keller Williams branch, and so I'm getting a lot of KW referrals, actually. Um, and I think that also when um, I just had a referral that was not a Keller Williams referral, but um, they needed an agent in the area, and so their agents started Googling and doing some homework and um, found my information online. Any other ways that you're pulling business in? You know, the other main source is developers. I'm starting to see uh, some developers coming back out of the woodwork um, that the market is starting to improve. And so uh, that is one resource that will start to happen again is that I do have developer clients, and so we will be listing some projects again now that it's time to, or some developments now that the economy is back to where we can have it make financial sense for them to move forward. So that is going to be probably the main key going here on out. That was your background, so I, I assume you know a lot of people in that part of the industry, and your objective is to go out there and get listings from the developers? Yes, that is my background, and it's not that I um, I have great relationships with them. It's just that it just didn't make sense to list at what price they needed to list at that time. It was almost better not to have my sign in the ground than to just than to take a listing and have it sit. So that was a that was a call, a judgment call on my part and on theirs so that we were just going to be on hold until we can have it make sense for everybody. Um, but I do have some that now have picked up foreclosed projects or um, have worked it out at the bank, that it now makes sense to start going again. And so we are in the process of getting the marketing materials out and um, we're going to start developing again. So, When you start working those projects, will you be doing any type of on-site sales or are these smaller developers where they're just kind of putting out one home at a time? No, like my newest one is going to be land, actually. Beautiful um, home sites where they could build uh, a home. Um, but land is going to be priced to where um, it's kind of a no-brainer if you want to purchase one. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, And so, yes, we, we will probably have a sales office on site. My office now is so conveniently located that unless the next one that we do, we start putting some vertical in the ground, um, we will have a model on a few of these developments, but not. it doesn't make sense right now. We probably are going to wait for a few years until we put um, some models in the ground, and then we will have to staff those, yes. You've said it a couple times, put vertical in the ground. I, I haven't heard that term before. What does that mean? I guess it's from working for developers. We have so we have a surplus of inventory of just land. So when we mean vertical, we mean an actual house or townhome or product that we can actually sell instead of it just being the the vacant home site. And so 
that's what we're referring to when we say vertical product. But I guess it's partially probably from working for developer that they're taught their language. Of the transactions that you did last year, was any of that land or was all of that vertical? Um, no, I sell quite a bit of home sites. Um, people coming in and um, saying, you know, we don't see anything we want to purchase, but we'll buy this great view lot with unobstructed views of the lake and the ski resort. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, that's a big part of our market right now. What is a typical price range for a piece of land in your area that you're selling? You know, um, right now, a typical price range would probably be for 100000 up to 150000 During the boom, that same property would have sold for 300000 up to, I think, the largest vacant lot I sold was a million dollars. So, yeah, we definitely have seen a huge decrease in values. Have you had to work any of the REO or short sale market? You know, um, I do not represent the banks. I have done quite a bit of uh, buyers, agents on both sides. I have done quite a bit of um, properties where the, for my investors, where the property has gone back to the FDIC. We've seen quite a few banks fell in our area and they've gone back to the FDIC and then um, going in and negotiating the notes um, for, directly with the FDIC. We have done that quite a bit. You've done that on behalf of your owners, your homeowners. Well, yeah. I mean, generally speaking, if they're at that point, the home will be foreclosed on. So we've done it working directly with the management company that has purchased the note from the FDIC and hasn't gone through the foreclosure process yet. I mean, what that has done for us on one example is we went in and worked directly with that asset management firm and um, got the property and then finished it and then I was able to relist it. So it does end up benefiting me. It might not benefit me at that exact moment, but it does end up coming out in the long run. So are you basically negotiating an extension of time before a foreclosure to give you an opportunity to perform a short sale? No, we're basically negotiating a purchase of somebody coming in and purchasing the property. And like in this particular instance, the the management company just actually quick claim deeded off the owner um, because she technically, if it wouldn't have been taken back by the FDIC, it would have been a foreclosure. Like she had stopped paying um, and so we just went in and negotiated the process, found a new owner, and then quickly deeded her off of it. Do you do a lot of that type of work with bank notes and potential short sales? You know, I don't do a ton, but I do do some. It just depends on um, depends on the need. I mean, if, if there is a property out there that if that's the scenario, then absolutely. If it's something that my client wants or that will end up being... Um, works out better for the seller or whatnot. So, Let's go back to your marketing and lead generation. You bring these leads in. How do you define a lead? At what point does it become a lead? How do you define it? Somebody does what? Somebody who inquires about real estate. I mean, I guess for me, I know that in the normal, when I say normal residential real estate market, if there there's a prospect and a suspect and and finding out if they're just out there fishing, you know. But for us, most of the people who are coming in here aren't aren't thinking they're going to purchase immediately anyway. So everybody is basically uh, a prospect and um, or a suspect until we get farther on the process of them coming back to the area um, 
or maybe they've come to the area several times and now they're finally inquiring about real estate, you know? So it's more or less, I guess, asking the right questions from the beginning and finding out what they're looking for and what their time frame is. And I don't have any problem asking the questions of what is your time frame, what is your price point, what, you know, and nailing them down to that so that um, we're not wasting everybody's time. Are most people forthright with you? Absolutely, yes. I mean, if anything, um, their price point usually gets a little bit bigger once they start looking at what's available at what the criteria that they gave me. Um, but most people, when they're out here, they don't want to spend their vacation looking at real estate the whole time. So you really have to hone in on what they, uh, what they said and what they're looking for so we don't spend hours at a time looking. Like Generally speaking, I'll show um, maybe a half a day to a buyer and they're under contract. I mean, we don't look at 10 and 20 property. We look at maybe five max, you know. So you've really narrowed down what they're looking for. Absolutely. So they have this huge time horizon before they are ready to buy, but then they buy quickly. Yes. How do you know it's three years? Has that been your average experience? Yeah, generally speaking, that's kind of just been our average experience. Um, Yeah, we've always just said it usually takes two to three years before they end up purchasing, and that's what we have found, so... Does anyone ever purchase the first time you see them? You know what? Um, in the boom, yeah, they did it all the time, but really not anymore. Um, and even at that time, it was a lot of people coming in um, and taking that. You know, I did have a client this week, though, that did walk in the first time I met them, and they did write an offer. However, they were already owners within this area and were familiar with it as well. So they weren't somebody who's just brand new to the area and now deciding that they wanted to purchase. I'm just trying to get over the the fact that you follow up with people for three years. <laughs> well, I'm not annoying. I mean, I'll, I'll, okay, let's say I meet you during ski season. Then I'll just send them an email, you know, following up, and then I'll ask them maybe in the summer, hey, are you planning to visit? Or look at this great photo that this photographer took. Or, you know, it's just more or less, staying in their face, but not staying in their face about real estate, you know? Where's your cutoff? If somebody said, I'm not going to move for five years, would you still follow up with them? Yeah, absolutely. How about 10 years? Yeah, I mean, I the thing about it is, is you can do so many things now with mass emails that it just takes one click, you know? So it's not that big of a deal to just send an email that has your branding on it that's Everybody would love loves a great photo or um, an offer. Like when it comes lodging time, we'll offer them a discount on their lodging or discounted ski passes or, you know, just I mean you're you're building a relationship. So when they do decide to purchase, they think of you instead of just going into an open house and finding an agent. So basically, anyone who shows any interest will end up in your database. Absolutely, yes. Do they ever fall out of your database? Yeah, if you want to unsubscribe. So they'll unsubscribe themselves? No, I mean, I very rarely have anybody, but I mean, there are a few. Um, I do have, uh, I do take them out if they, I don't necessarily take them out, but I'll put them, tag them differently if they tell me, hey, spring I ended up purchasing in Park City or 
today I just closed a transaction that the um, gentleman emailed me and said, you know, I think our dreams of owning a Utah ski home are done. Thank you for everything, you know. So I'll tag him as a past homeowner, and I probably won't. I'll probably follow up with like a Christmas card, you know, because um, we've done business in the past. And um, generally they have friends or whatnot that still enjoy the area, but I, I won't keep on following up with them. Are you doing all your follow-up emails through Top Producer? No, I don't do any through Top Producer. Is that where you're keeping your database? Um, I do have Top Producer as my database currently, yes. Are you thinking about changing? Yeah, I just don't know what I'm going to change to. Um, I've used other ones in the past. Um, Top Producer just seems like it's too much for me right now. It just has too much information in there. So... um, I am going to research something different. I just don't know what. How are you sending out all your emails then? I will send them through a campaigner or um, I will send them through, um, sometimes we, sometimes I will use Top Producer if it's just a quick note, you know. Um, and then a lot of times what I do in my database is I have them tagged and different times to follow up. So I will sit down for my prospecting. I will sit down and email 10 or 15 people a day that are tagged to come up and the reminders and I'll send them a personal message. That's kind of like the old idea of writing out a thank you card or just a say hello postcard. You're doing it by email. Right. You said the word campaigner. Is is that a program that you're using or what is that? Campaigner.com. And that's what you've been sending mass email out with. Right. Um, I just signed up, though, like I said, for that for getviral.com, the viral marketing, to where um, they will do that for you as well. And so I probably will be using them for my email campaigns because it's included in my subscription. How many listings do you currently have? Uh, I have 48. What's your average time on the market there? That's a great question. It is all over the place. Um, for vacant land, it, it takes approximately, I would say, over 200 days. And then for a single-family property, um, we're good, I, I would say, probably 180 days. So that's a long time horizon, about six months. Correct. And that is depending on what time of year they, uh, they list meaning we're very seasonal. So people don't really vacation on their spring and fall, you know. So if you're, if you're going to list your property going into spring, then it's going to take a little bit longer just because you're not going to get that activity level on it. Same with the fall. When are the, the strong parts of your market and when are the weak parts of your market? Ski season and summer are strong and then spring and fall are uh, quiet. Why would a seller hire you? What's your competitive advantage? Okay, so my competitive advantage would be I'm conveniently located uh, for the traffic for buyers. So you can, like I said, I'm located next to the restaurant or whatnot. Um, We are connected to the lodging company. So when a buyer is coming into town um, we and they are interested in real estate like in every lodging room that we're connected to with the lodging company, there's a frame on the counter that says, basically something to the extent of this home is privately owned but is in the nightly rental pool. Other options like this are available. Contact Spring Benson for more details, you know. So 
um, we have that in there. And then we also, our database, I mean we're constantly marketing. I think the other reason that they hire me is that I work. Like I'm in the office, I'm working, this is my job. Where I'll, in, in the resort second home market, generally speaking, a lot of the agents are doing it as a part-time fun job. So if they want to sell their home, they generally will hire me to get the job done. So, When people want to sell their property, are you meeting them at the property? Are you communicating online or over the phone? I assume you're doing a lot of your work long distance. Is that true? Yes. I very rarely go on a listing presentation. Generally speaking, I will do some type of farming for listings, and then they will uh, – inquire back whether they call me or they email me. I always speak with them over the phone and talk about price and where the market's at and go over all of that. So I guess in that sense it's a listing presentation. But I generally send the listing uh, paperwork via email and do everything uh, online. How many times do you typically have to speak with the seller between the time they say, yeah, I'm thinking about selling and the time they actually sign the listing agreement? Is it just one appointment on the phone or do you usually have to talk to them a couple times? It's usually just one appointment on the phone and then we follow up via email. We talk about where the market's at. Most of them purchased in the peak, you know, or are trying to figure out where what their value is worth. And so we go over that and then they speak with their spouse and then we uh, do everything via email. So it's generally they're calling me to kind of get an update of where can I sell my property, how long is it going to take, all the normal questions, and then they talk with their spouse, and then we end up listing. Let's talk about some practical issues. If they list their property with you, how do you gain access to the property? Have you seen the property before you give them a listing presentation? Generally speaking, I have just because I'm so familiar with the area. Um, but, I mean, as you and I know, that most of the time uh, it's really based off of numbers. So, I mean, I can pull up. I, I usually know off the top of my head what the value of their property is going to be. I very rarely have to do a CMA. If I do have to do a CMA, I'll get the information from them and then pull it that way. But I usually uh, don't take access to the property before I um, take the listing. Then they just mail out the keys to you or, or something along those lines? You know, a lot of the properties here are either um, in a lodging pool or they will mail me the keys. But generally speaking, most of them have somebody in this valley has keys, whether it be the maintenance firm that checks it once a month to make sure there's no flooding or whether it's the property management company that's renting it or if it's an HOA that has a separate set of keys. Somebody has keys in the Valley, generally. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Are most of the properties you're selling, are they in multi-unit buildings or are they single-family homes? I'm trying to picture, is it the reason that you know the values are because they're all condominiums or all townhomes? No, um, I think it's just because it's a smaller area. Um, we have condos, we have townhomes, we have PUD homes, we have single-family homes. I think that since I 
eat, breathe, and sleep this market, I pretty much just know it. I mean, I might be off a little bit, and I'll run a CMA if there is kind of a question, but generally speaking, I'm pretty familiar. I watch the hot sheets every day. Every morning I get 20 different emails of what's going on, and so I just know my numbers. When you're going to have a listing appointment, do you send out a pre-listing package to the seller before you talk on the phone? You know, if they're not familiar with who I am, um, I will. I do have a listing presentation that I'll send out to them. But generally speaking, no. They're calling me because I branded myself well enough. They know who I am, and they're just basically calling for information of what is my property worth. I mean, this is a second home, but it's more of a business transaction. There's a little less emotion that goes into it than it's their primary residence. You've had a falling market. How do you handle a seller's price objection when they hear that the value of their home has fallen? You know what? It is just one of those things that I just don't take it to heart. I can't control it. They can't control it. It just is what it is. So I just give them the facts and let them make an educated decision. If they feel like it makes sense for them to sell um, in today's market, great. Um, If it doesn't make sense for them to sell it, then that's fine as well. I really, really, really try not to take an overpriced listing. And I just tell them, you know, it doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do me any good. I mean, you'll forget this conversation if I list it and six months later it hasn't sold, that I told you that we were overpriced, you know. So let's just not list it if it's something that, if we can't get it to the numbers where it makes sense. So I'm just very upfront with them and um, give them all the information they need to have to make an educated decision and go from there. Do you ever experience commission objections? Yes. Generally speaking, I just tell them no, that it is, I spend a lot of money on marketing and um, that if push comes to shove, if I do need to negotiate it when we're at the negotiation tables on their transaction, that I, I'll look at it then, but I'm not going to take it uh, less than our standard 6% at that time. I do negotiate it sometimes when we are, if I generally, um, most of my transactions lately, I've double-sided both sides, listing and selling. And so that is probably when I get most of my questions about commission negotiation. So So they bring it up at the time that you double-end it? Yep. And then how do you handle it at that point? You know, it depends on the situation and if my seller has been a client that's been my client multiple times. Um, Every predicament is different. Sometimes I'll do it because they're great clients and they have other properties, you know, and I need to do it to make it happen. Other times I feel like I've busted my hump and I could take them to a different property. And I generally will tell them that, why did you hire me? You hired me to find you a buyer. I found you a buyer. We shouldn't penalize me for that reason, you know. And if there was another agent here, we would be paying them. So we need to look at what we need to do to get the numbers up so you can afford the full commission. So every situation is just different. Once you take on a listing, how do you market the property to find the buyer? What do you do? It depends on what type of listing it is, but we will obviously do all the standard. We'll order the virtual tours. We hire professional photographers on all of them. Um, We obviously get it out to all the different websites. We also, I pay for the featured listings on Realtor.com, all the standard stuff that everybody does. 
If it's a property that's in a lodging pool, we'll do a nice flyer that we'll put on the counter. Um, we also, like I said, my office is located where there's quite a bit of traffic, so we'll create something that will go in front where people can just grab it. And then we will also we'll do email blasts. Well, I have, like I said, my database that I have people that are tagged for what they're looking for. So we will send it out to those buyers that have been waiting or um, inquiring about that type of specific property. And then um, if it's a high traffic season, like I said, we'll hold open houses. Generally speaking, most people don't. I'm not a huge fan of open houses outside of this market, but most people do not walk into a real estate office wanting information here. They generally are just driving around and want to pull into somewhere. They're not wanting to be bombarded by realtors. So the open houses seem to work for us. How often do you do the open houses? It depends on the season. In the summer, we do them during the weekends and in the winter as well. I personally, I don't generally do a lot of open houses. I have other agents that will set the open houses and collect their information. So do you pay the other agents to sit in the open and collect the data? No, they can represent the buyer. So it's a great way for them to get leads. You know, and then if they're collecting the leads from the buyers, um, and they, a lot of, like I said, we have a lot of part-time agents. So sometimes it just depends on who the agent is, whether I take the lead and put them in my database and continue to follow up, and then I'll pay them if they ever transact or purchase, I'll pay that agent a referral fee. Or if they want to take the lead and go for it, then that's their decision as well. Either, either way, I mean, my main goal is to sell the listing at that time. Once you have the listing and you're working on selling the listing or doing all this activity, how often do you report back to the seller and through what medium? You know, we will report back via email. However, you know, we don't really follow up with them very often. And it's just generally speaking, our market isn't the type of market that you're having a showing every day. And so, I mean, we will follow up with them, but it might be monthly, generally speaking. Um, if it's a vacant home site, land, we'll follow up with them quarterly and just basically give them an update on the market and not necessarily on their home site because it's very hard to gauge traffic, as you know, on a home site. You're not going to have somebody calling you to make an appointment to show it, you know. Um, so it just depends on the property. And I also ask the, um, the client how often they would like to hear from us. You know, most of them don't want to hear from us all that often, only if there's something going on. So each time there's a showing, do you notify them? No. Do you collect feedback from the other agents? Yes, absolutely collect feedback, um, follow up with them. But I don't generally, I mean, I want, the, I want my client to know that their property is being shown and is getting activity. But I also have to remember that they have, they live somewhere else, they have a whole other world, you know, like this is important to them, but this isn't their top priority. And so they're not being bothered to show their home, cause it ha meaning like they don't live there, they don't have to clean it. So they don't necessarily care every time that it's shown. They just want to know if there's any, if there's negative feedback, I'll let them know. Um, or if we're getting a lot of activity, I'll let them know, but I'm not going to let them know every time we show it. Once you get a contract, who's negotiating a contract? I know you have an assistant. Is that you or your assistant? I do all the negotiations and all of the paperwork up until we are under contract. And then I turn it over to her. And then I assume you have inspections uh, in your area on the property once it goes under contract? 
Right. Who handles the inspection negotiation? I will. The way that it goes is I get them under contract and then the contract automatically falls on her desk. She has a checklist, a huge checklist that um, she goes through. She puts all the dates in top producer. So if, if she leaves town or vice versa, if I speak with somebody that we both have the information going on, she handles all making sure their financing is in place um, and aligning the inspection. When the report comes back, then I handle talking, speaking with the agent and also the homeowner deciding on what's going to happen. She basically handles the paperwork part of it, but any negotiations or decisions I, I will handle. And then she sets it up through escrow. Generally speaking, 95% of our closings are handled via um, mail out. So the closing docs are sent via FedEx or email um, to the clients. And so she makes sure everything on that side of it's ready to go with the title company and, and handles it and then sends out their closing gift. In your negotiation phase, do, do most of the negotiations end with work being done or some type of cash settlement or concession? Really, quite frankly, depends. It's all over the place. I mean, my last one that I just did, they preferred for the work to be done. So we found a handyman and got it handled, you know. Um, some of them, most of the time I think the work is, is finished because my buyers don't want to deal with it. And we, my assistant, ends up finding somebody to make the repairs and the, the bill just goes to the seller. On these transactions, in your second home resort market, are they typically being financed or typically being purchased with cash? Um, right now, we're seeing mostly cash. If they are being financed, they have 20 to 30% down and are just utilizing the interest rates being so incredibly low right now. And so what you mean by that is they could pay cash if they had to when you're learning about their finances but they're preferring to put a mortgage on the property. Correct. We're also finding a lot of people that are pulling money out of their 401ks and investing in real estate right now. So they're doing some type of self-directed IRA that's purchasing the property? Yep. I forgot to ask you a question earlier. You said you're double-ending quite a few of your properties. What percentage of the sales that you have do you think you're double-ending? At least half of them. 50% are being double-ended. That's, that's impressive. Thanks. Makes it easier working with the other side, huh? Yeah, it makes it easier, and sometimes it can be an uh, – I, I personally don't feel it as a conflict because I feel like I can't control what my seller is going to do. I mean, he knows where he's in the property and what he wants to do. I'm basically, at this point, the – on a limited agency, I feel like I'm the messenger, but I know that everybody feels like they, not everybody, but I do have that question sometimes. Well, who do you represent? Who are you, who are you benefiting right now? You know, so it can be a little bit of a touchy subject, but really, I mean, the bottom line is making sure that the buyer feels like he got the best deal and the seller feels like he got the most out of his property. Do you have buyer agency in your area? Yeah, I do have buyer agency. When I pull my numbers, um, I am right now a good 50-50 on buyers and sellers, which we all know listings equal leverage. I mean, it'd be nice to have them be mostly listings, but um, the buyers really right now, well, not right now, just in general, they they don't look 
at multiple properties over and over and take all your day and night. So being a buyer's agent can be really fun as well. So we're seeing right now, I feel like I'm mostly a buyer's agent for the last few months. And how many buyer agency agreements do you have at this time? You know, I do things a little bit different. I, um, I don't make them sign a buyer's agency agreement until we go under contract. And the reason that we do that is because, again, they're not necessarily – I mean, the first thing when they're coming here from their vacation they've decided to purchase, they don't want to get near, come to your office and sign and say, you're going to use me, you know. So I currently have – right now I have 15 transactions in escrow, and I would say probably 70% of those are buyers. Do you have a group of buyers that you're actively working with outside of this 15? Um, yeah, mm-hmm, I do. But I would say, but it's different because they, they're coming in on their vacation or like I said, I just put one, uh, made an offer for somebody who just popped in my office two days ago, you know? So it kind of feels like I never know where, where my next one's coming from, but I'm constantly prospecting that they just come. They just show up from something or another just happens. It just happens. It's lucky to be me, I guess. But randomly, I'll just one day, you know, just everything always comes together when you're constantly prospecting. I think you make your own luck when you're constantly prospecting. Yeah. So I guess I'm not the typical, like, have the whiteboard out of, okay, these buyers. I mean, I do have probably a list of 20 people that are great buyers that I know are going to do something in the next um, six months. But they don't necessarily aren't going to do something today or, you know, it just, it's just not your normal market. So why would a buyer hire you? Buyer would hire me because of my knowledge of the market. Um, I started out so young that I made sure that this was my niche and I knew what I was talking about and um, knew the area and knew the values just because somebody who's a baby boomer at the time wasn't feeling the love of wanting to purchase their second home investment property from a 22-year-old girl, you know. So I had to make sure that I knew exactly what I was talking about and was educated. So a buyer would hire me from my experience, and I'm also, I am a great negotiator. Um, But I know the market. I know what values are worth and um, what properties make sense. And I think I also listen really well of narrowing down what they're looking for so they aren't spending all day looking at properties that aren't going to fit their criteria. You've mentioned that before, that once they decide to buy, you're able to find a property for them rather quickly. Uh, You said a half a day is your typical time out? Yeah, I mean, we'll go out for a half a day or a few hours. I mean, it doesn't mean that we won't revisit the property again, but we've narrowed it down. We don't look at multiple, multiple properties that are all the same, you know. And I guess maybe because in a resort second home market, None of the properties really, unless you are a condo or a planned community, are the same. So once you visit a couple of them, you can get a taste of what their likings are and and figure out what's going to work for them and what's not. Do you get a lender involved in these transactions? You said a lot of them are cash. I can't remember. Did you say the percentage that are cash of your transactions? Um, I didn't say a percentage. I do have preferred lenders. Um, I have two that I refer everything to. And um, I do get them involved if they're – most of my clients know what they can afford. Um, And, I mean, all of them know what they can afford. I've never had a deal fall through from financing. So I um, 
depends on the first day if they want. I'll, I'll definitely give them the lender information if they have questions, or we'll call the lender right there and ask whatever questions they might have. Um, but very rarely do we say, hey, go get pre-qualified before we're going to show you around or whatnot. There's some, some very strong buyers. Maybe we should get a picture. Define your typical buyer. Is it somebody who's 20? Is it someone who's 80? Who, who's your typical buyer? My typical buyer would be approximately 45 to 65 years old. Um, they are purchasing their second home or investment property. They're generally um, a business owner or a CEO or a top uh, exec in a company, and they're, um, they're loving the ski hills, um, or they're from Utah that want to get a vacation home that's close enough that they can commute to um, that feels like they're getting away. So most of my clients um, are basically like my parents. <laughs> they're that 50-plus-year-old person. So. And so you've learned how to adapt because you're not 50 years old, correct? Correct. Well, that was why I made a point when I first started that I really observed for probably six months and um, made, I mean, even the way that I spoke, everything. Like I, I think, and it was partially probably because when I was hired, the original developer I was hired for did not want to hire me. And he talks about it all the time that he just felt like, how could she relate to my clients, you know? And um, so I just made a point that if I didn't know what I was talking about or didn't know the answer, I just said I didn't know, but I would find out. And I always found out and I never overpromised, and I never said anything that um, wasn't the case or that I'd never guessed. And I just made sure that uh, I learned to market and could speak educatedly about it. Okay, so we have a picture of these buyers when they come in. You said that you do some buyer agency at the end of the, the showing phase before you write your offer. Do people ever object to signing your buyer agency? No, and I generally, I never do a buyer's agency unless, um, until they actually write their offer. And so it's happening at the same time, and so there's no objection. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess I feel like I don't want to work with somebody who doesn't want to work with me, you know, so if they haven't felt the value in in hanging out and looking at properties and knowing that I know my stuff, then there, it just isn't worth it on on either parties, you know, like it's okay if they decide not to use me as their agent. I'm still impressed with the short little amount of time that you spend with somebody a half a day and you're able to find them a property. How do you do that? What's the process that you have developed in order to make that happen? You said you know the inventory. How are you making sure you know what the buyer wants? Are you just drilling them with questions? Do you have a set form of questions? No, I just ask a lot of questions. I, I think I ask a lot of questions and then I know what's available. You know, I mean, most people are pretty specific about what they want. So meaning, okay, I want something with four bedrooms and I want this and I want that and I want this. Now, if it gets, I did have somebody this week um, that didn't want, uh, that told me what they wanted and then they ended up writing an offer on something completely different, you know. And I just said to them when they called me about that particular property, I said, well, we didn't look at it because you said you wanted this, this, and this. And they said, well, we want to see it. And I, and I said, okay, if that's what you want to see, then we're totally looking at something completely different, you know. And then they ended up writing an offer. But it's very rare. I mean, I really try to stick to what they tell me they want to look at. 
Do you ever ask for testimonials from your sellers or buyers? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And then what do you do with those? I don't generally ask all that often, but I just am trying to update my Zillow my Zillow profile, and so I just send out random emails and ask them if they would do it to build my um, online exposure, and people are great about doing it. You'll go in on a location like Zillow, and when you have a need for a testimonial, you'll go out to your database, your past clients, and send them an email and say, hey, who could give me a testimonial, and they flock. Right. Let's talk about your team for a minute. How many assistants do you have? I just have one. What does your assistant do? She does everything. She handles the transaction. So, okay, so the listing, she'll handle the paperwork and making sure that it gets out through DocuSign and that everything comes back. She'll order the virtual tour. She'll make sure the sign goes in the ground, everything that's applicable to that. And then when a transaction comes in, she handles all the paperwork, all the inspections, all of that. And then she does my day-to-day Randomly, I just email her things that need to happen, whether it's a buyer that needs to have an inventory taken because they've purchased a home furnished or somebody has a question about something. I mean, she basically handles everything so I can be out generating new business. A lot of your properties are being sold furnished? Correct. How does that work? Does that ever become a problem with the financing because it's personal property that could leave the property? How does that play in? It depends on how the contract is written, um, it, uh, and it depends on the lender. Generally, we'll write in the contract that the home is being sold as is with all furnishings, artwork, bedding, etc., um, and will be transferred on a separate bill of sale for $1. If they have quite a bit of cash down and they want to put a value on the furnishings, then we'll put a value on the furnishings. It really just depends on the transaction. So that's never slowed you down, whether it was furnished or unfurnished? There are some obstacles sometimes, but we always figure out how to make it work. What was the biggest stumbling block you've had with furnishings, and how did you handle it? Well, the biggest stumbling block, we have a couple of people negotiating over the craziest things that really don't mean anything, you know, like, oh, a seller that forgot that he needed to give this armoire to his mother from China or something, you know, and you're like, well, you didn't, you didn't take it out of the transaction and now you want to take it out and we're going to close in a week, you know. So we do have a few of those scenarios, but then for the financing is probably the biggest term. So we just, I make sure I consult the lender prior and ask um, which investor they're going to use to and how the contract needs to be written so that we're 100% legal on every aspect, but to make sure that they're also covered that the buyer is getting what's in the property and um, at that time that they saw the property. So, Back to your assistant for a minute. She, she's doing all these tasks for you in the back end to make sure you're staying out in front of the people. How do you pay your assistant? I pay her on a salary. She makes $36,000 a year. And is that full-time work? Is she there 40 hours a week? Yeah, um, she works, uh, like if she needs to take a vacation, she takes a vacation. If she works, if she needs to work later one night, then she works later one night. But generally speaking, yes. So it's pretty flexible. Right. So you're seeing her every day. So you're probably having a a quick meeting or you're just, you're interacting with one another each day. So you don't have a need for a, a once a week meeting or anything like that. Right. We interact every day. How did you find her? This particular one, she worked for... Wolf Creek uh, was the developer. She worked for their water company. 
I just knew her from a previous work life, I guess. And it all worked out? So far, so good. How long has she been with you? She's been with me for about a year. Did you have assistants in the past, other assistants? When we had the development firm and in the boom, I had a partner and we were selling 250 houses a year. We had a, tra- a full-time transaction coordinator. The develop- development firm had like a marketing person and stuff, so the- we didn't necessarily have to have assistance. We just had somebody who handled our listings and our transactions. So yes, I have had another one in the past, and she was a paralegal, and she was amazing. Any other technology that you're using in your business? Like I said, I just signed up for that viral blog, and then I just do a lot of online trying to capture them before they get here. So I have a ton of online exposure as well through whether it's Zillow or Trulia or Realtor.com or any of those. Um, I do use DocuSign for all of my paperless transactions, and that's about it. And I do do some social media. I don't do a ton. Um, I have the social media. Most of my clients aren't really big social media people, though. Well, you've been doing this for a while now. It sounds like you have a, a rather expensive office and a great location. Is your operation profitable? Yes. Would you mind disclosing what percentage you have in profit? I try to have at least I, a third of my income would go to expenses. I'm trying to get that, but I think the nat, the standard, the average standard is a third. Um, so that's kind of where I've set my bar at. So you think a third goes to expenses and then two-thirds would go to you as net profit? Right. That's pretty good. Yeah. Do you use systems to try to make things move smoother? For instance, you had mentioned that your assistant has a checklist when a listing comes in or a contract comes in. Are those manual or are they in a computer? The hard file has the checklist in front on the front of it. And so that is manual just for the hard file, but she also does have everything in top producer as well. And she keeps whatever spreadsheets she needs to for make it simple for her. But I can pull everything in top producer um, and know. Um, we use Dropbox as well. And so Dropbox, we have everything on there so all of us can access it if we need to at any time. Do you have any other systems or checklists that you use in your business? No, not that I can think of. How many hours do you think that you're working in your business per week? I would say at least 40. Does that fluctuate with the seasons? Yes. Summer and winter are definitely uh, more. And then uh, spring and fall, I still work. Just I treat it like a real job. I come to the office generally 9 to 5. Sometimes, depending on, I have two little children, sometimes I'll come in a little bit later and stay later, but I try to work the full eight hours a day. I'm not generally in the office the whole time, obviously, but um, I'll make sure that I'm here doing some prospecting, getting whatever I need to work-wise done, and then I'm usually out with clients or um, doing something real estate-related. How do you keep control of your time? I do time blocking. I generally will t- try to do my prospecting and any follow-up in the morning, and then my afternoon is free for clients. I've gotten a lot better. I know that they're on vacation, so I'm really at their mercy, but I've gotten a lot better of trying to keep them still to the afternoon. I will meet with clients in the morning if, I, if that's what their schedule allows because they're pretty much here only for a small time frame, you know. 
I, and then I also I, I took a class called Bold through Keller Williams, and that helped a lot of time blocking and keeping track. And so I, I have everything on my phone and my Google Calendar, but I also now have gone back to the old school way of having a day planner. And anything that is profitable is in green. Anything that somebody else can do is in a different color, and anything that's personal is in a different color. And that way I can really see if I'm spending too much time on something that I could delegate to somebody else. And that has helped me a ton. How do you keep balance in your life? <laughs> oh, that's something I'm trying to find. Um, I think just trying to make a conscious effort. I'm definitely not I'm, I'm working on that. So that's probably my weak link right there. Do you have a business plan? I do. And I reevaluate it every year. And I set my goals in December for the next year. And I'm constantly looking at it to see where I'm at and what I need to do to stay on target. How often do you think that you review it? You, you say constantly, is that every day or once a week? I will, not necessarily my business plan, but maybe my goal numbers at least once a week to see where I'm at, what I'm tracking, what do I need to do. I mean, we're definitely a relationship business, but we're also a numbers. It's all about the numbers of how many people you contact to put together a transaction, et cetera, et cetera. Are there certain numbers that you like to track? I don't track the general Tom Ferry where you track how many phone calls and emails you've made. I know in the normal market, that's what works. But I really track how many listings I have, how many buyers I'm working with, how, what's under contract. I, I look at where I, if I need to start farming, I don't usually pick up the phone and start asking for listings. I will um, send out letters or do some type of listing campaign. Or this last one, I did a newspaper ad. Um, so I don't track the amount. I do track the amount of leads coming in. But I don't track the, okay, I made 20 phone calls today or whatnot. Do you have a certain goal for the number of contacts you want to make in a day? You mentioned earlier you try to send out, I'm trying to remember, it was 15 emails a day? I try to at least send out 15 a day, but I don't have that type of goal. I mean, I'm more about the quality of the contact that I made other than the number, you know. So I, I don't keep track of like, okay, I contacted 10 people today. I don't keep a spreadsheet of that. I'm more or less constantly looking at, okay, I have X amount of listings and in inventory. I have X amount of buyers. I, I need this. I mean, I know I've done the math on how many listings at one time I need to carry to, to hit my goal of how many transactions I want to have and et cetera. So, how many listings is that? I constantly at all times have to have 25 listings based off of an inventory of of 200 days on the market. So you're twice that. You're in good shape. Yeah, the thing about it is, is our land inventory is a lot slower. So I think I'm, I'm right there for amount of land inventory that I have based on where our market's at. So yeah, I'm in good shape. I'm tracking this year. So. Okay, let's talk about motivation goals and their mental game. Spring, what drives you? My big why, huh? Um, I, what drives me is the excitement of making the deal. Um, the financial aspect is nice to be able to have and afford the lifestyle that I choose to live. Um, I also, I have two little children, so it's just nice to be able to provide for them and have it be that I personally feel like I'm 
investing right now so that I can have, when I'm 50 or whatnot, have the future that I want to have and not have to be in the office every day. So I think there's a lot of my big why, but I guess it's ultimately the my family, and then I also like the challenge of it. So, What do you think makes you successful? When I was 20 years old, I was in a fire, and I was burned 85% of my body. And um, when I, I was on basically life support, my roommate next to me, she, she passed away and all the beeps, all the sirens are going off in the middle of the night, you know. I'm like, what is going on? And um, the doctors came in and I'm like, am I dying? You know, because I keep you really drugged. And he said, he's like, no, you decide who you want to be. Like, you decide if you live or die. And that, like has stuck with me from day one and I just find that true on every aspect like I decide if I want to be successful I decide if I'm going to have an incredible marriage I decide if I'm going to um, have a great family like everything ultimately is my decision and if you set your mind to it and you fully work at it then you can have anything that you want to so I genuinely believe that on all aspects what should the listeners know about you I love real estate. If you have any referrals for Utah, send them my way. No, I have a great, I have a great business. I have a great family. Um, life has been good. Last year, Realtor Magazine's 30 Under 30 was super fun experience. Anybody who gets the opportunity should definitely uh, try out and um, put in an application. And yeah, everything is great. Where do you see your future in real estate? Where do you see your business going in three, five, ten years? Do you have a plan out that far? That's a really good question. I mean, part of me really loves this resort second home market, and this is my niche, and um, it's fun and whatnot, you know. And then the other part of me wants more and wants to build this big, growing business of being a realtor outside of this market. And so I have in the last six months started, that's why you asked me if I had two offices, I have started to kind of work in the normal residential real estate market. Um, I haven't done a ton of maybe have like six or seven closings outside of this resort second home market. And I can't decide. I can't decide if I'm going to try to go big and build a huge team or if I'm just going to stick to having a small team in this resort market. I do think that this is such a new up-and-coming area that there's a lot to offer and um, that it will be growing quite a bit in the next three to five years. So it will be interesting to see which direction I decide to go. You've talked about your far-off future when you're 50 and over. Are you doing any wealth building through investing in real estate? Yeah, you know, I have invested quite a bit in real estate. We have, I've purchased and sold a lot of real estate throughout the years. Um, currently, though, uh, I, I don't have any investment properties right now. We, uh, my husband has a, just started a new company, so we liquidated to do that, and he's doing phenomenal. But yes, definitely, I have a financial planner. I have, um, I have a 401k. I have all those things that, as a realtor, you probably should do, but a lot of us don't. Um, that I have set up. And my goal would be uh, my next thing that I'm going to start doing is just buying fixer-upper rentals that are you can pay cash for and just start building rental units is the direction that I'm going to go. Will you be doing that in your current resort market? No. 
I will be doing it probably in the city. If you were to advise a brand new agent that was getting into the business, what would you tell them to do first? You know, I would tell them to really look at trying to become a member of a team or find a mentor. Um, I think that so many of us go to real estate school that's 90 or 120 hours and then you get thrown out there and you don't know what in the world you're doing, you know? So I think if you can find somebody to take you under their wing, take advantage of that and learn all that you can from that. Um, I would also tell you the biggest misconception, I think, is that it's all about selling a house and the reality of it is is really it's your job is to prospect. It's finding those buyers and sellers leads and to know that going into it. Um, is that the leads aren't just going to come to you. You have to work and find ways to generate them. If you had to relocate to a new market tomorrow, what would be the first three things that you would do to establish yourself? You know what? I would probably swallow my pride and, and team up with somebody who's established there and try to work as a member of their team to grow. And hopefully they would see that they could utilize my skills and Whatnot. I think that I would also, if I didn't do that, I would start by doing the general starting over. You have to door knock, um, making phone calls, getting out there, um, getting your name out there. So I probably also, depending on what type of market it would be, would, I don't know that I would do a newspaper ad. I mean, that works for us here, but um, I guess I'd probably door knock and prospect and also try to become on somebody's team. Spring, is there anything else that you would like to talk about that we haven't talked about? I think that anybody can do this. It's just setting out a clear vision, putting your goals on paper, knowing what you want to do, and then putting a plan together to make it happen. Well, Spring, you set your goals and you made them happen. Your tenacious ability to stick with a prospect for a three-year average incubation period is impressive. Your optimism market knowledge, creative marketing, and constant prospecting have combined to make a strong career. Whether you stay in Eden or move to a larger market, I know you'll be successful either way. Thank you again for being our Rising Agent of the Month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club. 
where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.